Hi, hello and welcome to Digging Up Ancient Aliens. I'm your host, Frederick. This is the podcast where we watch History Channel series Ancient Aliens through the lens of an archaeologist. If you are new here, I'd like to say hi, and if you've been here for a bit longer, welcome back. If you haven't already, please leave a positive review on the podcast player of your choice. It's a great way for us to reach more people and grow, and I also get this nice notification. And, of course, I will thank you by name, or the name you used when you left the review, at least, (laughs) in the next possible episode. So this is part two of our second episode of Ancient Aliens, titled The Visitors. And if you missed the first part, you could just go and listen to it right now. It's all right. This is pre-recorded, so I'll just wait here for a little bit. Yeah, you can pause. I won't go anywhere. Yeah, there you go. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the first part. Might be easy for you to follow the second part. But if you skip going back to listen to the first part, then it's all right too. Didn't miss that much, to be honest, or missed a lot. (laughs) But uh, in a strange way, it won't really affect this episode for you. Almost as if they um, just connected a bunch of mishmash things to make some sort of semi-coherent narrative for you. So the spark notes are basically that the Nazca people had elongated skulls and the show seems to indicate that they were the only people in South America that practiced this or the first or I'm not completely sure to be honest but then they talk a bit about the elongated skull and that they look weird and if you think about it it sort of looked like aliens and then we head to Egypt and Akhenaten the heretic pharaoh, and they talk a bit about him, that he too seems to have an elongated skull in some depictions, and uh, he um, had his monotheistic religion that sounded awfully lot like he was an alien. And he went and uh, ran away, apparently. That part of history will have been unnoticed for archaeologists, but he went and uh, in, I'm not sure if they are implying that the Dogon people are related to Akhenaten or their descendants or because they don't share the religion, but they make some weird connection there. And that lands us right here. And let's dig right into it. Let's don't dilly-dally anything else. So we open up the next section section on America. And and the speaker talks about the Native American tribe, the Sunni people, or the Sunni tribe. And I can be completely honest and level with you here that I'm not an expert in pre-Columbian North America. And I won't be able to speak with... um, really good uh, voice of um, knowledge here in a sense, but I will, I, or <laughs> I've done some research and relying on the best available 
explanations at the moment that anthropologists and archaeologists have offered. Um, but this is not my area, so unfortunately, I can't really give you any fun extra details here, um, which is a bit sad. Maybe we can bring in some guests later and talk a bit about um, the um, pre-Columbian North America and the Native Americans um, in a later episode. And the episode indicates that the Sunni people or the Zuni um, tribe has been uh, living and farming in North America for 2,000 years or so. And they want to claim it to be the oldest. And from what I can find, the um, Sunni people have at least been farming for three to 4,000 years in the areas they're um, inhabiting. So they might be even older than that, of course, um, but we have signs of farming for three to 4,000 years. So they're, they've been there for quite some time. And then we meet Chris O'Brien, and I think that this might become a theme. I'm not sure yet, but I, I started noticing a bit that the more the guest speaker dress as Indiana Jones, the less education they have within archaeology or history. That's at least my thesis, because he wears basically Indiana Jones cosplayer outfit and a goatee, of course. That's also something I'm starting to notice, and I also have a goatee, so I have some tough, tough choices here and let's see how this evolves if i need to start shaving or the indiana jones or maybe i also shouldn't start dressing as indiana never mind never mind um okay um but mr o'brien stating that the sunni people have not opened up much about their religious belief to outsider and to be honest i can't blame them for not wanting to share their quite deeply whole beliefs or sacred beliefs with people that for the most part of contact history have wanted to eradicate them for said belief or convert them from said belief and it's to be honest, quite normal for them to want to keep it sacred. And it's really something most of their traditions are only meant for initiated tribe members. And only a few ceremonies is really open to non-tribe members. And then only when they're invited by a member of the tribe. Actually, there, there was... One person, um, an anthropologist named Frank Hamilton Cushing, who, um, who is seen among many uh, within the field as a pioneer and as sort of the original participant observer. So he was not, not a silent observer standing in a corner just observing, but he actually participated. And he actually lived with the Sunni tribe for quite some time, learning their language, their rites, and, and he even got taken in as a priest for the tribe. And, but when he left, he actually did publish 
um, a quite comprehensive set of works on the Sunni tribe, uh, especially one at 1883 called the Sunni Fetishes. And you can actually read this paper. I will link it in the show notes. Since it's part of the public domain, you can <laughs> access it quite easily now. Uh, but Cushing was basically part of the tribe. And when he left and revealed their uh, secret belief, it hurt them in a sense. So I can, they have many, many reasons to not want to let people inside and uh, talk with them about their beliefs. But Mr. O'Brien seems to have some knowledge. Uh, we will get to that a bit later. I, it seems as he has gotten it from another source. Uh, but he's stressing again this star sky gods and that the um, Sunni tribe have this star tradition. Um, again, we see this thread from Akhenaten and the Dogon people that they want really that they're sky and especially star gods. We then move on to meet two members of the Zuni tribe, uh, one village elder named Clifford Mahuti, and actually an archaeologist named Dan Simplitzo. And Dan Simplitzo seems to be part of the tribe and saying in the show that he has studied Zuni history firsthand, collected a story that the that seems to indicate that the um, tribe's protectors are gods from the sky. And the elder seems to agree with him. I am not sure if Mahuti is the source there or if this is a common belief. They really don't say. Uh, they're just saying that uh, Simplicio uh, has collected his story and Mahuti is also telling them that the Sunni people believe that their gods comes from the star. Well, I can't be sure, but from what I read and what we have available and what we do know about the Sunni religion, it doesn't really indicate what Mahuti says. I, I'm not an expert in this field, but so either it might be a chism, you know, Christianity differs quite widely depending on who you speak to and what part of Christianity they adhere to. They still rely on the same original document, but if you ask a Protestant and a Catholic and a Orthodox Russian and an Orthodox Greek, um, you will get widely different answers on the exact same question, even if they, in theory, should be the same. And it might be the same here. Mahuti is part of a different tribe, uh, or not different tribe, but a different chism of the Sunni religion. Um, and religions can break and evolve. And Mahuti also seems to be quite active within the New Age circle. I'm not sure if this really affecting his how he views his religion in a sense could be, but. This is me purely speculating here. Uh, as I say, I am not an expert, but I can see some parts that might explain this part. We will talk a little bit more about the Sunni religion down below. 
so keep with me. And we then move on to look at some petroglyphs. And that can be quite interesting, but they are claiming that the petroglyphs that we are looking at are not ships and prey or whatever you can. No, it's spaceships. And sure, if you would tilt your head, close one eye, and if you might be a bit tipsy, I guess you can get it to be a spaceship. But the doodle that they are showing in the TV show looks like like it could be anything. A doodle, something, or something I don't have a reference for, but... Whoever made it knows exactly it could be part of the religion, could be something else, could be nothing. It can be an exaggerated picture. For example, here in Sweden, we have petroglyphs basically um, carved into rock. And quite, quite a few of them depicts people holding up giant axes with giant phalluses sticking right up and I'm quite sure that people didn't walk around like that but it's part of a tradition that we've lost now and in this case I'm not sure I don't have the reference but if you know um, you can look at the petroglyphs in questions if you go to minute 37 uh, second 29 and then again 37 43 and if you have any no or no have any interpretations of them or studies made and let me know you can find all the contact info on diggingupancientaliens.com and if you do find errors um, things i get wrong or what it could be send your reference um, source and correction to me and we can correct it as we go uh, further anyhow but to be honest i don't have that much here we luckily switching to Childress again, who comes in saying that sometimes petroglyphs are just students, and yeah, sure, they can be, but others are, of course, depictions of their gods who were aliens from space, an ancient astronaut, if you please. And I don't make this up, you can go and listen for yourself. 3801. So the petroglyphs. They are sure to show aliens can't be anything else in at least children's mind here. Me, myself, I'm not really so sure the figures look strange, but not really alien strange. And we go from these petroglyphs to talk about the Kachinas. And something that the show doesn't tell you is that the Kachina can be three things there relating to each other but can mean you can talk about different things it has different areas so you have kachina the mythological creature of course and then you have the kachina dances dancers who of course reenacting parts of said um said uh, religion uh, or creature and you have kachina dolls they will mainly focus only on the dolls uh, but we will start swiftly, uh, turn uh, to the Shalako festival. And I'm sorry if the pronunciation here is not very proper. Uh, I hope to improve it further on. 
So the Bethesda speaker claims that they celebrate the Shalaka festival by dressing as cochinas and dancing to celebrate the arrival. Arrival of what? My guess is as good as yours, but from context, I assume the arrival of their the aliens, of course, then. And we see Sunni people dressed in what I assume is ritual clothing, performing a dance. But this doesn't match the depictions we have of the Shalako dance uh, in the few depictions we do have. So the Shalako festival is one of their more secret celebrations. But the depictions we have and the information we, we can rely on, well, the, the dance performance we see on the telly is not the Shalako dance. The Shalako dance is more intricate. They have this big, big, um, costumes on quite tall long neck almost like giraffes and I'm sure that they couldn't film the Shalako festival but they indicating that what we're seeing now is part of that ritual which I feel is quite misleading they they would know and there's wood carvings especially from Cushing's stay with the Sunni and I think it's a bit unfair and a bit exploiting of the tribe, to be honest. At least for me, I feel that it doesn't really show them fairly. It's not lying, but deceiving <laughs> would be the best word. It's not great, at least. But what we know about the Shalako festival is that it's celebrated around the winter solstice. and. It's part of a ritual for good harvest. Remember that the Sunni tribe is an agrarian people. They're farmers. And as farmers, they tend to focus on different festivals. And that it adds up to the solstice uh, in the case that, yeah, they are an agrarian people. Might be a coincidence that the aliens just landed right there but again um, we know also that it's to bring good harvest good fortune and of course many children and they also have that a blessing uh, houses that's been built during this year between the festivals so if the aliens isn't interested in looking at new property you know it isn't a festival much for the visitors of course and sure the tribe selects men, only men. Uh, in the video, we saw women also participating, and they, it seems that they do in other uh, celebrations, but not in the Shalako. The tribe selects men, only men, to perform as the nine council gods. So if the aliens were just nine, might fit, but I, then again, if they look like giraffes, <laughs> as they do during this dance, uh, but the as you will see, the, that's not the point that they want to bring home there. We move back to Childress, who this time has a doll in his hand. And the doll, look, if you're not familiar with these, I, I first looked at it. Yeah, it looks, looks strange. And then you just go out and look this up and you start to understand in how they are made and for what purpose. And they turn to be quite normal at the end. But they are 
stressing that these dolls have a strange head and some sort of suit. Sure, the head, yeah, it seems to have a mask on it. And they're quite crude in their drawing. It's not like it has a carved out a mask and then a head behind. But again, they are supposed to depict gods. And we meet more uh, of these dolls that they claim are masked and suit up and has some visors that they assume is some sort of space helmet. Uh, but if their spacesuit doesn't contain <laughs> skirts and feathers, I guess it might be something else. But they're him, Maria Childress and Giorgio. Uh, and they both claim that they look like ancient astronauts, which also, again, we have these vague notions of almost racism, maybe not so great with bringing up Pedrilitska <laughs> earlier in the episode, um, was quite rough on the Native Americans. Um, but again, saying that they look like ancient astronauts because they look like Native Americans with helmets, that's not really okay, to be honest. But so they talk about the Kachina dolls. And first of all, the Kachina dolls are not limited to the Sunni uh, or even the Hopi tribe uh, use these second dolls. And we know actually quite a lot of them. These dolls usually have names and fits into a larger understanding about their religion, both for the Hopi and the Sunni. Sure, they are used a bit different between the tribes. They are not exactly the same, but um, according to the Sunni, the Kachinas live, um, live and comes from the Lake of the Dead. And Lake of the Dead doesn't really sound like space, doesn't? Or of course, I guess you can get everything into space. But the mythology of the Kachina don't fit a narrative where they would come from outer space. We don't have this fire coming from the skies, landing and then coming out. We come in peace now. Um, this whole part feels a bit dishonest. Uh, they're not lying. They're just carefully leaving things out and maybe show you something else and don't tell you what they're showing you. Uh, but as I said, bringing up Alice Hedritzke without acknowledging what he did, both, both good and bad, and then to this, uh, you get a bad taste in your mouth. But we then meet a Bill Brines who is claiming that poetry in all tribes talk about the sky people coming flying ships. I could not really find anything about this. And ships might be the wrong word here too, to be honest. And then we have a Stephen M. Carr who seems to belong to the Southwest Museum of American Indian. And he talks a little bit about the Native Americans and their oral tradition. Don't really add much to the conversation, to be honest. But... I assume that he have had a longer interview and they take what might fit in the episode. He might have said something more interesting along the way, but it doesn't really fit their narrative that they're going to the sky people coming with ships from the sky. 
so they end up with the oral tradition and his title as a way to give authority to their narrative. But it seems as we're going to leave the Sunni people for now, and we won't really come back to them later, uh, Giorgio, uh, or famous meme guy. Um, if you haven't heard the first episodes, uh, Giorgio Tsukalitos, uh, um, you know, he's the ancient alien meme guy, basically. But he comes in, saying, talking about that our ancestors has the same intelligence as us, which is correct, it's good. And one poor to Giorgio for the duration of our two episodes, basically now. Four for us, but uh, another thing there. And then he says that they don't have the same technical frame of reference that we have. And again, that's okay. They try to hammer this back in episode one, two. But the Sunni people would still have words for shiny or metal. And we would see traces of these, at least in their mythology and how they depict their gods generally. We don't see the fetishes in this episode because the fetishes is mainly animal. They're worshipping spirits, basically. Spirits of nature, animal. And this doesn't really fit within the um, ancient alien narrative. So they just skip that part, basically. And then he goes on to say that... Yeah, so... He says that they don't have the vocab- vocabulary to describe advanced technology. Yeah, so so. And so, what he's doing here is basically saying when they speak about dragons, they really mean spaceship. And f- speaking about the dragons, we move into China after this. So, we switching to Huangdi or the Yellow Emperor that he might be better known within our part of the world, at least. And within Chinese mythology, he is roughly placed 3000 BCE, and he is one of these mythological emperors, for the most part. And they're claiming that uh, Huangdi was born out of the radiance from the star Qi, and would come from the belly of a fire-breathing dragon and become the first emperor of China. So, a moment ago, Huang Di came out of the belly, now our dear Giorgio claiming him to be flying around on his magical dragon, saving people, hunting things, the family business, basically. But he becomes the Yellow Emperor, creating the first empire, and they move on to which is basically correct according to the myth at least, claims to be the inventor of the compass, acupuncture, and standardization of Chinese writing. Eh, not sure about the standardization. He did come up with an alphabet. What was it? The bone alphabet. Don't take my word for that. But um, they also seem to indicate that he built the Great Wall of China. Which a bit surprising, but because I'm quite sure that the Great Wall of China was built around starting at 300 CE, 
uh, until at least um, 1600s. So don't really fit within, well, 3000 BCE, but yeah, and they sort of lost me there. But apparently uh, Huang Di didn't die. No, he again jumps into the belly of the dragon and flies off this time for good when he has accomplished all these amazing feats according to the myth. Uh, or at least according to the myth, according to the ancient aliens' proponents. And Georgia then wants to say that dragons are misimper- misinterpreted machines since dragons have fire and smoke. So it's basically like a rocket launch. You see, lo- rocket launches also have fire and smoke, so they must be the same thing. Or does it? <laughs> um, they... Depending on when it was written, they they did have words for shiny, probably words for metal. They they could describe it better than dragon, to be honest. Otherwise, all fantasy creatures need to be either real or alien, I, I guess. According to Giorgio, the, this is a strange strange argument for this to be honest and because well dragons have a long tradition within the Chinese culture and many other cultures too we have the piece well uh, in the viking that's more my speciality we we have of course dragons and snakes and they commonly usually have these magical properties but they don't fit in within being a UFO made out of metal coming from the skies. And again, Huang Di was one person. There's never been more of him. So either one person travel all across space and gives us compass, but don't teach us to wash our hands, <laughs> uh, bacteria or to get rid of bacteria or uh, cure diseases. No, uh, comes, gives a compass, builds a wall, and then sods off, uh, basically. And then we have uh, Jonathan Young, who comes in talking about mythology. It's just a way to speak about things people don't understand. So a dragon is just a word that could mean anything and would just be a pause effort to describe something they don't know. Or is it? A dragon, I assume, is a dragon. and the poet is trying to describe it quite accurately why would we have pictures of dragon that looks well what we assume is dragons and not shaped like ufos or rockets or spaceships uh, you name it Um, it's quite hard to misinterpret the description to be something else sure both have smoke and spit fire that's only two common denominators there. And of course you could say that Huang Di jumped out from a dragon. If you want to call his mother a dragon. <laughs> if you actually read the legend and the myth. Uh, it's quite clear that he was born from a woman. And sure if you want to call her a dragon. I would find it a bit mean. But sure. And sure the birth was 
Mira miraculous, of course. He's a myth. He's a legend. And of course, you want to be the hero to be a bit extra special, but other than that, human birth, basically. And sure, there's dragons associated uh, within the old Chinese religion with the yellow emperor. So you have the yellow dragon, for example. But they are quite separated in their myth, as I could get it to. China is not my area of specialties <laughs> either, to be honest. And haven't studied it that much. It's a quite interesting thing, but I'm looking at it from the outside. So I'm using, again, well, the best material available and what the scholars are agreeing on at the moment. But he didn't jump out from the dragon. He is a dragon, though in the separate myths with the yellow emperor dragon. But did he just fly away to never come back? No, if you look at the myth again, we have Wang Di, uh, who first meets a phoenix, and then uh, Quillin. Uh, Quillin is a sort of chimera, so basically a dragon with antlers, a hoof, and they are usually shaped like a oxen or a horse, and they also have a fancy beard. We're going to be back on the beard. So yes, the mythical yellow emperor did a lot of things, but not really the things that they say in the episode. Again, it's made in 2010. This is quite easy things to double check. Again, I can get in research off back in the 70s when you bought this huge encyclopedias and had to go to them. Or if you didn't have one of those or all those 24 bands or whatever, yeah, you had to go to a library and look it up there. You know, 2010, you just... Sure, smartphones weren't maybe the biggest yet, but you had computers, internet. I digress. Anyway, they again, misrepresenting the myth. Uh, we then move on to what the show call Babylonian legends. So around 800 BC, they claim that people were created by Anunnaki. And the Anunnaki actually stems from Sumeria. And they aren't really specific about what they're talking about here or the evolution of the Anunnakis, but we have Giorgio here again claiming that the Anunnaki means those from heaven came. And according to my Sumerian dictionary, it would be more of offspring of An or something like that. And it's not a dictionary written by scholars uh, trying to translate the language. No, it's actually actually the dictionaries of the old Sumerians. So if you look at the, the Sumerian tablets and Babylonian tablets, you sort of notice that the scribes, the script are quite tricky and they have all these different signs. And to practice, they actually made their own dictionaries and we still have many of them. Uh, the good thing with them writing on clay tablets is that they tend to last, especially if there's a fire in the castle. So if archaeologists is lucky, the castle have burnt down, which means that the, um, the tablets have a tendency to bake and really hold up against, against time. Um, so it's quite nifty, but yeah, we have their own dictionaries, and it's from there we can see that Anunnaki would be offspring of An. 
And you can access, access these dictionaries too. There are several electronic versions from universities and museums. And I will try to link some of them in the show notes. And well, then they move on to the Anunnaki would be descending from flaming vehicles. Somehow I think they're looking back towards the um, uh, Vianas, uh, Vimanas um, that we met in the first episode, um, trying to reference this, but they just glossing this over. The, the Anunnaki is a subset of gods um, who has their father as the sky god An. So basically, the children of the god, like Zeus had children, or um, the Egyptian gods actually do have children. And they then talk about that they have watches and boots and helmets. They had wings because aliens have wings all of a sudden, and they float above normal people, which is obviously levitation. They didn't have wings, of course, and they were levitating duh uh, <laughs> or well but we, again we're quite clear about what the Anunnaki were uh, sure they differ depending on what civilization you're looking at they're originates in Sumeria but they're known in Assyria the Babylonian again we and we have a lot of information about them and it's quite clear that they are descended from the sky god An and of course Um, is from the sky, but many have the sun gods or father gods that creators. And they usually associate with the sky. Our god is, but we don't really claim him to be an alien or her or however you want to see your god. Um, But again, there are gods. And the watches they talk about, um, they use quite bad pictures in the show, but I, I tried them up. They're quite common, luckily, these pictures. And I will link that in the show note too. Um, but the watch is basically a wristband with a flower in it. And the symbol is believed to be the symbol of Inanna or Ishar, the goddess of war and love. A good match, to be honest. But we leave the Anunnaki quite quickly. Um, Moving to the Greeks and the Romans, they bring up Zeus as an example. And oh, my sweet, sweet baby Odin. That could have been wild, but they're keeping it PG-13. So they're claiming, first of all, that the Olympian gods brought civilization and science. And I feel bad for poor Prometheus, who had to suffer and didn't get a little shout-out in the Ancient Aliens episode. Um, But now they're talking about Heracles and Helena of Troy, and the Olympian gods was really flesh-and-blood ETs who mated with the human population, which makes the story where... So where Zeus turns into a swan and well, intercourse would be the wrong word, but uh, have his way with a woman uh, a bit more disturbing is if he's 
ETs maybe there are shapeshifters too. But again, we are glossing the, over that. Don't dig deeper, don't think twice. We're moving on to Genesis, actually bringing up the Bible. They did that first episode too. It might become a thread here, but my man Robert that we that I shared for quite a lot in the first part of this. So Robert R. Cargill, uh, he's the fellow with a PhD in biblical archaeology. Yeah, he comes in here and well, Robert, you're letting me down a bit. I must say that I were on your side for a long time. I shared you, but yeah, you hurt me now. Yeah, but he goes in to say that there's these beings in the Bible that mated with humans and created Goliath and stuff. He did, he don't want to call them ETs. He's trying to avoid that word quite as good as he can. And then since he don't want to call them ETs, we switching to Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make a man in our image after our likeness. And let them have domination over fish over the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So they want to make this uh, about the or part here. And yeah, it says or like we, us. And the passage is based on the Hebrew word, I'm sorry for this, enu. And that's a plural plural word. And George would say that theologians would explain this with the Holy Trinity. It doesn't really fit within the Judaism religion that is based on. But actually, many scholars think this as, of course, if they're not Christians, then they want to get this to the Holy Trinity, of course, but others, <laughs> Hebrew scholars or general, says that it's basically a royal we. Us talking of God is talking about himself, herself in a third person. And we have old Billy Barnes coming in here, um, creationist, it seems like. And he talks about the creating story that it's exactly the same everywhere, except it isn't. Uh, if you take the creation story of the Vikings, um, it widely differs from the Egyptians, from the Christian, from uh, the Inca. Sure, they have common themes like creating Earth. Uh, something from nothing. All these things but they're not identical and they are quite logical in a way. Of course, there might have been nothing and from nothing something comes. Land or water. Um, one of those two. Quite logical and then we move on to creatures and so on. But that the floods comes and sure there's flooding myth and it might look back at something but we're not Sure, but then again, it might be that, especially within the around the Palestina Israel area, uh, Middle East, there are you know, the story of Gilgamesh, for example, and the Bible might build on that. So it's not 
similar or stories taking place at the same time. And we don't have that in the north, for example. We don't have flooding myth. So it can be something. It can't, cannot be something. It's hard to tell, to be honest, at this point in time, at least. He then moves on to go into something I at least find fascinating and quite telling for what they are saying. Uh, he say, quote, In fact, the Bible says so. Life on Earth came from contact with extraterrestrial life form. That's in the Bible. I believe this. The harder you try to refute this, the more you end up against a brick wall. Ancient aliens visited us thousands of years ago, seeding the life we have today. And yeah, we have it. He's not open for discussion, and it's quite clear that he is among those who might want to get the evidence to fit. Uh, Maybe if you leave out a few things, you get it in a better way at last. But him saying this, you can't change my mind, is quite telling for what they're saying. They're they're not scientists. Uh, Sure, scientists have been known to believe things and not want to change their mind. That happens. It shouldn't. But yeah, of course, we're humans. But coming out like this, saying that there's no possible way for you to change my mind on this, yeah, then you're not really credible as a scientist any longer. And not really really worth to have a discussion with since the outcome is clear from the beginning. We then move on to Russia. And Russian, or USSR as it was back then, uh, Russia was the first nation to have a person out on a spacewalk. And to have a spacewalk, we need to have a suit. Therefore, aliens must have a suit. And the show shows a few statues that look that they could have helmets or some spacesuits. Quite unclear part as if they had, oh, we need to hit 130 and we have Two minutes left, let's put some statues in there. And to be honest, it's not really something to dig down in there. They are quite clear from what they are. And they are not aliens, at least. We then move on to British and German scientists following Greek philosophers. And that life began in one place. That would be, according to the show, panspermia. I did not see this one coming, to be honest. We then meet... The NASA girl, uh, who's back talking about panspermia and that life could have come from other planets through meteorites. Not sure if she's meaning that life on Earth originated on other planets, or if it's more of a sense that, yeah, life like bacteria could have come to us from other planets through meteorites. We then meet Paul Davids, who's a PhD in theoretical physicist, and saying that Mars is a good candidate for uh, for life early in the system, and Mars rocks comes here all the time. And they're talking about microorganisms, but again, he's a theoretical physicist and not really a biologist, so not his area of expertise here. They then bring up the 
find in 1996 uh, on Antarctic meteorite designated ALH84001, who seems to have had carbonate glucose uh, extruded by some sort of life forms. And it seems that they are correct in this. And the meteorite that they referencing have indication of uh, carbonate glue balls. So it seems to have possibility of life, at least. Uh, I'm not a biologist myself, <laughs> but at least this seems to be fitting with the knowledge we have. And then we have Mr. Beauval, or as I would like to call him, French Lex Luthor, uh, who's saying back saying that ancient people were right. Life came from outer space, not on this world. Life on Earth was seeded. This is an astrobiological fact. Not sure about that. We then move on and meet uh, Francis Crick and James Watson, who were well, basically the discoverers of DNA and back in 1953. If I'm not mistaken, I think they got a Nobel Prize for that. So what it is was the development of the mathematical theory of X-ray diffraction by a helical molecule. So that's what they're referencing back here. But they are then moving quickly on to the Crick invented directed panspermia in 1960. So if Earth is about to end, uh, we would invent interstellar travel. And find another planet. And it seems as well. I'm not sure if Crick really were thinking this, but uh, that they indicated that we're colonists from a space race. And we have one of the geologists back saying that it's not scientifically bad to say that aliens created life on Earth. You don't think there's a difference between bacteria and humans? No, the same. Right, life is life, I assume. And for thousands of years, we have tried to depict ancient aliens, apparently, because they are us, in a sense. We are the aliens. They then give some some basic uh, evolution biology from uh, Francisco Ayla, PhD in biology, and Russell Tuttle, also biologist, but they're... Again, one of these interviews that probably were a lot longer, and then they take just a few parts of it out and put into the show. And then they show some lions hunting, and they talk about uh, 2000 or the Human Genome Project that identified the genes in the human genome, and that finished up in 2003. And then they talk about the uh, discovery of the HAR genome, HAR1 genome, and that seems to be unique to humans and might be therefore from a different planet. And here's what they're not totally clear about, because at some points they seem to indicate that, yeah, life was started by a meteorite. So we get the you know first building block from a meteorite 
back billions of years ago. But in the next breath, they're talking about that human uh, or what become human came from a meteorite. So there seems to be quite unclear about this. Um, they almost <laughs> saying uh, a bit earlier there that the dying civilization put their last final hope into a meteorite, you know, almost like Superman sent out into space. Hopefully he would survive. And then we have me, and they talk about uh, Crick again, uh, who thought that humans could not have evolved by themselves. So one of those uh, anti-evolutionary people. And then I, I was a bit blindsided here because they bring up the um, airplane from junkyard metaphor. So if you haven't heard this, they're saying basically that life on Earth is nearly impossible. It's just as if a tornado would uh, go through a junkyard and assemble a Boeing 757 by random chance. And as they're saying this, I I almost expected Ray Comfort to fly in and side-tackle Graham Hancock and pull out a banana. Yes, and start to talk about how it, how perfect the banana fits in your hand but no luck no luck there um but it's quite interesting to see that this fallacy is used by the alienists too uh, mostly christians use this or religious uh, proponents but it's named a fallacy for a reason and it's not like the biologists don't think that cells just popped up uh, as they are evolved today. Um, no, the, the calculation from the probability of the formation of a modern protein uh, is what they're calculating. Or even a complete bacterium with all modern proteins by random events. That would be weird, but this is not part of the biogenesis theory at all. It's not as a bacteria just with all the proteins assembled pop out from nothing, but it's what they're calculating this on. And they assume that there's a fixed number of proteins with fixed sequences for each protein uh, that are required for life. They calculate the probability of sequel sequential trials rather than simultaneous trials and they misunderstand what is meant by probability calculation and they underestimate the number of functional enzymes and ribozymes present in a group of random sequences um, so yeah they they bring it up as a gotcha but if you understand this fallacy <laughs> you know that it's just wrong and don't really fit with the understanding we have about the abiogenesis. They say that we understand 5% of the human DNA and it takes roughly 5% of a human to clone it. Again, I'm not really sure what they're saying there, but they're moving on that the DNA is message from aliens and it's been established that DNA is a recording medium with almost limitless power. And this Mr. Hancock says, and sure, there's been trials where they've recorded data on DNA, but 
that's not what we have found so far in all the DNA analysis. We have Svante Pavo, for example, who worked a lot on Neanderthals and even discovered that still living people have Neanderthal DNA in their genes. So again, we seems as we have evolved after all. And now we have a bit of a curveball because humans did not evolve. Humans are humans, but from the future. So if you've read H.G. Wells' book, The Time Machine, you get the point, basically. But yeah, we basically invent a time machine because we screwed up and went back in time to start over, basically. And Mr. Hancock is back saying that the aliens could, yeah, they could have been humans with the time machines. Um, if I could travel close to the speed of light, I could reach the year 3000, say in a couple of years. And yes, time travel or they're, what they're talking about is special relativity. Um, basically, and they, of course, bring up Einstein because why not? Uh, but yeah, what time illusion, dilution is, is a bit complicated, a uh, bit out of my scope, to be honest. But yeah, if you travel the speed of light, the time will behave in a different way, basically. And I'm not sure if they are correct. I will link some resources here and... It's quite interesting, that part, but way complicated for me and way <laughs> too complicated for the scope of uh, aiming for an hour-long episode. But one of the things that we might revisit in the future with someone who is a bit more of an expert on the subject. And we have my dear Giorgio coming in saying that humans are so, so arrogant. Think just that we can't travel the speed of light and through wormholes no one else could. It's basically not what we're saying. Um, we're not sure how they would be able to do this because as human and how we are built pure biological, we wouldn't really stand in the galactical travel. But sure, it's a possibility that someone else have done it but why why would they hide it in such a strange way that they're visited us and why would our ancestors try to hide it too that part is a bit unclear and we have uh, the coast to coast radio dj coming uh, i'm sorry i lost his name and i'm not going back to look it up now uh, but he says uh, I don't believe that primitive man just woke up one day and realized that they had knowledge and knew how to make tools. Now, I think others came down and teach people how to start to evolve. And again, we say bye by hearing Giorgio 
talk about again the sky gods coming down teaching us how to build in stone and all of that blah 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 yeah so what do we think here have they convinced us no <laughs> uh, i will say no this time too um they the episode started out quite great especially if you think back on part one i found that part Sure, they were wrong, but it was wrong in an interesting way. But the second part here, most of it, it had these foul undertones, uh, more of a dishonest, a dishonest look at it. Yeah, but they basically just misrepresent a bunch of things and. Even sometimes we have noted now that they invent things whole cloth. I'm not sure how it's meant to weigh someone. Sure, if you would come into this knowing nothing about history, sure, maybe, or even just a little bit, you know, basic, maybe having studies in high school or something, but if you have any interest in this, I don't, I just don't understand because the arguments are so weak they fall apart if you start to dig and prod them poke at them and you don't have to dig especially deep either that's a weird thing it's not really gotcha things it's just a little bit of research and you see oh that that was wrong <laughs> okay that was bull and then you can move on with your day so yeah i'm not really sure how they stayed in business this long to be honest but hey let me do something at least (laughs) but i'm happy that you've been with me for this far and i think we will leave it at here remember um you can find us on facebook twitter instagram whatever social media you might enjoy and of course at diggingupancientaliens.com And if you have suggestions, uh, corrections, or want to just say hi, you find all the contact details on the webpage. And next week, we will look into episode three, The Mission. Join us then. See ya. Take care. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Remember that we have a subscription going on. You can become a patron or other subscriber for as little as $2.50 per episode. Go to diggingupancientaliens.com support. That is, go to diggingupancientaliens.com support to read more information and sign up right there.